love your stubbornness. <laughs> That's good. All right, everybody reasonably comfortable? You know, it, it's no lack of faith to move under the covering. You can come right here if you want. Um, good. I wish I brought my umbrellas. I have a giant, giant golf umbrella. It would cover about half the people back there. Um, anyway, it's good to be with you. Uh, this this uh, rain reminds me of a story in Against the Tide. Against the Tide. It's a biography of Watchman Nee. And like here at CIV, uh, they sent out mission groups during the summer. And this is in China. So they, they went to an island off the coast of China that uh, really there were no there were no churches there. And it was famous for having a particular idol that they worshipped. And once a year during the summer, they would have an event honoring that idol. And uh, so th- that event was coming together. The parade was, you know, Everybody's kind of excited for that to happen. And Watchman Nee and his mission team were there. And they had a brand new guy, a new believer in Christ. And they had never taken him on a mission trip before. And there's a lot of things that happen. Uh, you learn about yourself and your maturity on, on those kinds of trips. Anyway, um, as they were sharing the gospel in the public space, uh, they got some pushback uh, because there were people there that were representative of this idol. And... Uh, they said, well, for one thing, we know this idol is true because it has never, ever rained on the day of that celebration, ever. Well, then, in the midst of that dialogue, uh, this new Christian, he jumps up and he says, well, this time it will. And Watchman Nee looks at him and said, oh, my goodness, what have you done? <laughs> because now you put it, you know, in the public, it better not rain. So they just, you know, told him, don't shout out like that again, please. And then they prayed like crazy that the Lord would make it rain. And, of course, it did. At first, it's dry, and then the rain starts coming down, and then it came down in torrents and buckets. And the those that were carrying the idol, you know, and that's the problem with idols. In times of trouble, you have to carry the idol. It doesn't carry you. But they slipped. And so the idol goes tumbling off the platform, uh, kind of rolls over to the gutter. And they have to rescue the idol out of the gutter. And they rush it into, you know, a building like this behind me. And uh, then after a few minutes, the officials come out and say, you know, we're sorry. We had the date wrong. Uh, it'll be three days from now. And then that young Christian shouts out, it doesn't matter if you have it again, it's going to rain that day. They couldn't get any duct tape on that guy's mouth fast enough. They did have the event three days later, and guess what? It rained again. And the gospel came to that island off the coast of China. Um, and I, I want to take you to another uh I'll take you to China one more time in, in, in just a minute, but I want to say this. When people come to me for, I mean, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. You've got the notes there. If you're online, uh, you can fetch those up. They should be available, ready to find. Um, this all comes from these two chapters. And these two chapters are, are, are about God and money. And when people come to me and they're, they're, they want to 
get some premarital counseling. Uh, one of the things that I give them, I give them a list of the 20 adjustments that every couple needs to try to make in the first year. Now, I warn them, uh, some of those adjustments you, you won't get done in 20 years of marriage, much less one year of marriage. But look and see, some of you may have already done. Some you realize you need to work on, and others are just differences of personality, so you have to discover that. And so give them that list. Then I put them through a financial um, assessment. And I give two copies. And I say, now fill these out separately and then get together and see where you're the same or where you're different. And that will show you uh, where you're going to have to make adjustments financially. And one of the questions on this list, by the way, I will send both these lists to Stacy. And if you're interested, you get them from her. All right. So uh, I just obligated Stacy for that. I didn't ask her in advance or even warn her, but I'll, I'll send it to her. Uh, one of the issues is credit cards. Now, some people see credit cards as an opportunity to borrow up to the limit and, you know, just pay the minimum as they request. Others, they want to pay it off every week, every month. So they never carry any credit. They never get charged interest. They just use the credit card, uh, you know, like plastic money. Um, I had a friend once who he was... Uh, they never had any money in his family, and so when he discovered credit cards, it was like magic to him. So his goal in life was to always have his credit cards filled to the max. I remember going to a department store with him one time, and he'd already maxed it out at that particular store, but they looked to see, and he always made his minimum payments. So right there on that spot, even though this guy was horribly stressed with three maxed out credit cards, they extended his credit limit. And I just thought, they are not doing my friends any favor by doing that. So if you pick a partner out and you're the kind that you want to max out your credit cards and just pay the minimum every month and you marry somebody who can't stand to not have their credit card paid off every month, you're going to have to work that out because that's quite a disparity between those two. Now, in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's giving them advance warning that a collection is coming to town. He had thought this idea of this collection up uh, when he was helping to start the church in Corinth. And the way the, the membership grew there so quickly, and there were some very influential and financially well-off persons, uh, so they always had an abundance whenever they went after something, a mission trip or whatever. They Not a problem to handle that. Well... It so happened that while he was doing this, word came that in Jerusalem, they were going through a difficult time. There was a famine. Now, you know, we have refrigerators and freezers and so, and freeze-dried stuff. You know, famine is, is sometimes hard for us to understand. You know, the closest we get to famine is when, you know, there's a pandemic and somebody buys up all the toilet paper. That's as close as we get to a pandemic. I mean, excuse me, a famine. But in many places of the world, famine is about the scariest word you can use. Famine. And there was a famine in, in Jerusalem, in the area there, in Palestine. And Paul had an idea 
Up until that moment, all of the resources for the mission of sharing about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the life he brings to uh, all of those missionaries going out, all the funds had come from Jerusalem to send people out. And Paul said, what would happen if the people in the new churches gave money to relieve the people in Jerusalem? Back to Jerusalem. Now, in 1920, in the Shandong province of China, uh, you know, they had uh, embraced the gospel and were now trying to send out missionaries in China and share. Now, of course, this is before uh, the communist revolution and all of that. But uh, somebody said, maybe we could take the gospel back to Jerusalem. And they had a vision for taking the gospel through Chinese missionaries along the Silk Road from, say, Beijing, all the way across the Caspian, the Black Sea, into the Mediterranean Sea, and to Jerusalem. So it was in their mind, we have received missionaries. Now let's start sending missionaries. And then just recently, that has been sort of amped up uh, when one of the leaders in that same area said, Let's send a hundred thousand missionaries, Chinese missionaries, along the Silk Road. Let's be the senders. And that's what's going on here. What Paul has done is he shared his vision of sending relief back to Jerusalem when he was in Corinth, and they were all on board. Let's say, can we give to that now? Can we just take it up now? And Paul said, No, let's wait. Let's give the other churches a chance to give too. Well, now, Paul has gone to those other churches, and I'll get into the details of this in just a second, but those poorer churches, uh, those churches that didn't have the economic base that was at Corinth, they gave like crazy because he told them how generous the promises of the Corinthian church was going to be. And they said, we want to see what happens when the offering we gave for Jerusalem gets to Corinth and how Corinth will respond. Well, now Paul is worried. He's worried that what if the church at Corinth isn't ready to give like that? That's going to be really embarrassing for everybody for Paul, for others. And so he sends his one of his key operatives, Titus, to go to the church at Corinth to let him know that this sort of collection group is coming. And they should be ready to keep their promise, to you know, fulfill their generosity. And they, they also, he's sending uh, one of the best uh, preachers uh, from those churches to come and also help with the stirring up of all of that. So there's this sort of advanced entourage that's going to Corinth and Paul's sending a letter to them. That's what Second Corinthians, that's part of the issue of Paul writing this second letter to the church at Corinth. Um, now, if we unpack this, what we will end up having the possibility of being is uh, what Paul calls a hilarious giver. It means to live generously. Now, to be a giver, guess what? You have to be a getter. (laughs) You can't give what you don't have. 
So if you pray about being a hilarious giver, you're probably also going to need to realize God's going to make you a hilarious getter also. So in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each man should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. You know, the transliteration of the actual word is hilarious. Um, now, maybe other people in your family watching you give like that, maybe they're not laughing. But in your heart, you are laughing because you're giving like that with joy. Cheerful givers give hilariously. They give even when funds are short. They give what they can and even more. How can you do that? We'll talk about it. They know when to sacrifice and when to do it with joy. They volunteer for the privilege of giving. They volunteer for the privilege of giving. Well, how could that even be possible? Well, first, in chapter 8, verse 2, he says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Something happened on the preaching trail there. Maybe it was in um, Philippi, Thessalonica. Something out there happened for Paul that he had never seen before, and he's describing it here. These churches, these people were poor. They didn't have anything. But when they heard about the opportunity to be givers and not just getters, they stepped up. They emptied their purses. They opened their wallets out uh, and gave. They gave what they could, and somehow they gave even more. It was as if the Holy Spirit stirred up the heart to give with poverty, and out of it became this exceedingly hilarious generosity. Uh, Paul was moved. He was struck by this. And, and the answer seems to be, find something so big to care about that you would feel like giving even when your funds are short. Have you got anything like that in your life? That it's so important to you. It means so much to you that if there's a need, you're going to step up no matter what. Um, so I need to base my generosity on what's in my heart, not just what's in my wallet or my purse. Number two, whenever there is opportunity to give, put yourself in the offering plate first. Now, we have an offering box over there, so I guess what that means is, you know, before you give anything, you should jump in the box. This also happened at the Church of Philippi. Before they gave, they gave themselves to the Lord. They made sure he was the Lord of their lives, that he'll take care of them if they gave uh, in this generous way. Uh, so uh, they did not do as we expected. This is 8.5, uh, as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And since God's going to cover whatever I'm short, I need to give what he wants, when he wants, as long as he wants. God will have us covered. Verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Um, you know, probably most of us here have looked at a report card or a grade card, grade sheet, online, or what have you. And maybe there's a, a certain class that you were required to take, but you weren't that interested in, and, you know, 
you'll, you'll take something less than an A. Um, you don't need to survive on great inflation. You'll, you'll just take that. You'll receive that. But what he's saying here on your spiritual report card, so to speak, don't settle for anything less than excellent. Don't settle for anything. So you've been good at this and this and this. What about giving? What about that kind of living? Um, so excel in everything as you live by faith, even in giving. What's the principle that makes this work? What's the formula that makes the difference? It's in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. If you let Christ's poverty into your life, Christ's death for you on the cross, it will make you wealthy in a way you've never been wealthy before. The goodness that comes because of the grace of Christ is changing. It changes us. It changes our attitude, our perceptions, and our heart. Um, Verse 23 of Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. If Christ is your Lord, then you can't come up short. Not for eternity, not for salvation, not for living. You will not come up short. It's his poverty that makes you rich. I'll come back to that in just a minute because it's the main thing. Um, how can we do this? Well, Paul says in verse uh, 12, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. Um, and in uh, later in or earlier in Malachi in the Old Testament, just the last uh, almost last verse in the Old Testament. Um, bring the whole tenth, the tithe, into the storehouse. Test me on this. You know, God doesn't say that very much. Test me on this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Um, what's your credit score? You know, the, everywhere I go, I hear advertisements for you about your credit score. What's your credit score? Let's flip it. What do you think God's credit score is? God will be debtor to no one. God will be debtor. He will not be your debtor. If God owes you, he'll pay you. He'll pay you on time. Um, and when we give out of our poverty... God sees that, and he will make up the difference. You will not, I will not come up short. Uh, I think I shared this once before. I still remember the first time my youngest daughter um, at the grocery store was going to purchase something, and she got super nervous. She was worried that somehow the checker would say, you owe this much, maybe some hidden fee, or maybe she thought it was this much, but it was actually more, you know, just going through her little mind. And she said, Dad, what if I don't have enough? And I smiled at her and I said, sweetie, whatever you're short, I got you covered. And she just smiled and turned around and made her first purchase. That's what God's saying to you. What you're short, I got you covered. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's why you see some Christians 
And it may not, life might not be going the easiest for them, but there's, you can tell they're smiling inside. There's a joy there. And that's where this comes from. Um, what Christ does to make us wealthy in that sense. Um, next one, verse 15. He that gathered much did not have too much, and he that gathered little did not have too little. The issue of equality. This is God's purpose in provision. He provides in a way that all of us have what we need. Nobody has too much. If I have too much, it's not mine. It's for you. It's to look after you. So you remember the the business of manna in the wilderness for 38 years. You know, every day, every morning, they go out and collect. And some people would not get enough. And some people would get too much. And they would, you know, come to the central marketplace and everything would even out. Everybody would have enough. That's God's, that's how God provides. So this lack can have this overmuch and, and switch and make all of that. Imagine if we would practice that and believe in that. Uh, if I know when I have enough, then I also know when I have more than enough. And Paul said the secret of contentment is to know when you have enough. Now, in the American dream, they want to kind of twist that a little bit um, so that you never have enough because whatever you have, you want to get something bigger and better and more expensive. So you're always in debt. But God says, figure out what's enough. I'm going to provide you enough and more so that the more than enough you can be, you have resources for giving. Um, hope that makes sense. So I need to base my getting on my giving, not my giving on my getting. I need to avoid financial fantasy by giving generously. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Does that make sense? You think as, you know, in a farming mentality, if you're going to throw, cast a bunch of seed, I'm going to get a bunch of crop back. But if I just, you know, put up a little seed here, a little seed there, not very much. How are you living? Are you living like, are you living small or are you living large? Are you sowing big or are you sowing small? Are you focused on the little you're reaping and never even ask the question, well, how much did I sow? How much am I putting into this relationship? How much am I putting into my children? How much am I putting into my parents? Am I sowing generously there? If so, watch for the reaping. It will come. You know, I, I, I meet people who are just complaining, complaining about the relationships and they're just talking about what the other person is not giving and they've never talked about what they're giving and putting into that. And that's, that's a way of life. Same, same thing at work. You know, it's all, it's got coming at me rather than what am I giving to my work and to the people I work with. Um, so avoid financial fantasy by living generously. If I am living cheaply, in giving cheaply, um, how could I ever expect to receive generously? But if I'm giving generously, I don't need to worry about it. Um, verse 8 of chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So, I can, you can, always have more than enough by always giving faithfully to God's work, investing in God's work. 
I like to think about the giving we do at CIV as a kingdom venture fund. You'll be a venture capitalist in God's kingdom and watch the return on that investment. Um, God will give us our daily bread, but in God's economics, 90% will be enough so that you can give the 10% to God's work and God's kingdom. Uh, what a privilege that is to be included in that. And that's how the Philippian church and the Thessalonian church thought about this collection for Jerusalem. It's a privilege to give. Can I give? They wanted to give. Don't exclude us. Let us give too. And Paul did. And it was exciting what God did. I remember one time, church, we were uh, trying to construct a new worship center. And we, we didn't overplan it. I mean, we had like 11 committees that were going to do ministries through the building. And so everybody put in the design. We met with the architect. And, you know, then... Uh, I, I'm, as, as the, as the pastor of the church, I didn't want to, uh, overextend the church. I don't want to spend time worrying about the finances. Um, so always keep the debt small. And so, you know, we, we did that. And so we, we asked the people to, you know, to give in this direction. And I didn't know this would happen. But because it was the right time and many people were involved in that, everybody had their fingerprints on it and it was a great plan. We had a good architect, good design. But then when it came to giving, uh, we had a big giving event on Sunday. And then on Monday, uh, the money counters came in and we were going to count all this stuff up. But they didn't know how to count this cabin cruiser boat that somebody gave. (laughs) They didn't know how to count these diamond rings that were in the offering plate. I didn't know people would give like that. But you know, when you want to give to something, but you don't have the cash, you look around. What have I got? I remember this one gal, she had been saving up for a new car. And she just decided, I'll drive it for three more years. And she gave all the money she had saved for her new car. Um, You know, there is a way to give if the willingness is there. Never, ever underestimate the power of your giving. I'm not talking about how big your capacity is to give. Don't underestimate that. But the effect of your giving. Um, you know, this Jesus was, you know, I guess they had a, an offering box too, and Jesus was sitting watching people give. And I, I think there were some people who were so proud of their giving, they made sure it really made a noise or they had somebody play a trumpet whenever they gave. And, and they probably gave as much as, you know, half the people in the church and won the gift. But then this woman comes up. And I, I didn't, I don't think she wanted anybody to see what she gave. She gave everything she had, but it was just two cents worth. But if that's all you've got, you know, she left empty because she gave it. And then Jesus said something to the disciples. And, and it's so cool to hang out with Jesus because he's always going to say something to you that's going to blow your mind, change your values. And he said, you see that woman? She only gave in two mites, the smallest coin available. She just outgave everybody who's given today. Because they got a ton left over. But that woman's going to go home hungry because she's got nothing left. She gave the most.
Do you realize you have, you and I have the power to do that? And the Lord doesn't miss that stuff. He knows who gives what and whose heart is where. There, and, and, um, so it, it says in, uh, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 9. He has scattered the gifts abroad to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Your generosity results in thanksgiving. This service not only supplies the needs of the saints, men will praise God. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. The return on kingdom events investment is eternal. You know, okay, we're not the biggest church in the world, are we? No. And my goodness, we don't even have a building to, to meet in when it's raining. Thank the Lord it stopped raining. Is it? Okay, all right, good. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, but the Lord's eye is on this church. His favor is on this fellowship. You know, when we um, had the, the offering back a ways, I, I thought, that's too much. But you overgave it. There's something, God's presence is in this place to do mighty things. He's in, you know, touching us to do mighty things. Um, uh, my mom died in, in 2005 and she was living in, uh, San Antonio then, uh, Texas. And so my sister and my brothers and I, we all flew in there and had the funeral service. And then the day after the funeral, we, uh, met together to organize and settle her estate. And uh, I think it was my brother-in-law, his job was to go through her checking account and all that stuff. And he said, Rick, look at this. And I looked at it, and I did not realize how little money my mom had. And and I was looking down the what you know check stubs, and I, I looked down there, but... Even though she had so little, she was giving regularly to the ministry of her church. You know, it's like her checkbook was witnessing to me of her faith and her devotion to the Lord. I felt like she was documenting, uh, she was matching her lips with her checkbook. What a witness. I'll never forget that. Now, I was, on one side, I was ashamed. If I didn't know my mom had that little, she'd have got a check from me. Now, I did call her and say, Mom, I'm going to send you a plane ticket. Just come come live with us. Uh, and she said, no, I got duty here to do. But on the other side, um, I was so proud of my mother for expressing her faith to the Lord in that way. And, you know, when little kids give, it's a, it's it's a joy to watch that. Because they're learning how to give. Uh, I know you guys are all note takers, so and you know I have no idea how long I've been speaking. Um, so I'm going to give you really fast notes. This is just another sermon in 120 seconds. Five gears in giving. First gear is needs-based giving. When you see a need, that's when you give. You don't see the need, you don't give. So little kids, they learn to be big-hearted givers when they see a need. Oh, mommy, that person is homeless. Can we give them some money? Need-based giving never goes away. You always need first gear in your gearbox. Second gear is uh, disciplined giving, like tithing. You look at your budget. I'm going to put this much in in giving to God's kingdom work, giving to the church. Uh, 
And I'm going to put that in. So that's discipline giving. Uh, third level is you switch it in saying 90% is mine, 10% is God. You just flip that around and say, it's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. I'm just his steward. And you give discipline, but as a steward, everything I have is God's. Give it that way. Um, the fourth gear is sacrificial giving. Now, we probably don't know much about that, but sacrificial giving means when I give this, it means I'm not going to have that. That's sacrificial giving. Um, I can give this because I had to sell that. It's taking maybe an incremental step lower on the your well-being financially so that you can give that. Sacrificial giving. There are, you know, you can't do that every week because by, you know, the seventh week, you got nothing. Uh, you can't, but there are seasons when it's great to give sacrificially. Now there's a fifth level, I call it adventure giving. Sometimes, God is, you know, when you know God better in this way, um, He may ask you to give what you don't have. Well, how can you do that? Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, that means two things have got to happen. You've got to decide God's calling you to give that gift, and you've got to say to the Lord, okay, Lord, where am I going to get this money? That's the adventure part. So if I'm going to give this, i got to have an extra job to do that, or an extra opportunity to do that. Or there's money coming in I don't even know about, but I know it'll be there. That's adventure giving, um, adventure living. And I've done that a number of times over the last 10 years. And it's a really cool way to live. Um, and all, it just reminds me, everything, I'm just God's channel. It's not for me to stay with me. It's to flow through me. Um, I'm a channel of giving. That's the way he wants us to live. That's the way Christ lived. Now, I don't know if you've done much. Uh, it just gives me to the last point. You know, the scariest thing in the world is to come to church and get the sermon notes, and there are ten points in the sermon. We've made it to the tenth point. <laughs> um, document your giving by matching your lips with your living and your giving. If you travel much on the East Coast, I'm talking about the whole eastern half of the United States, you come across a famous Dutch name, Rockefeller. Because... Uh, John D. Rockefeller, who went to a church like ours, um, God saved his life by teaching him to give. By the time he learned to be a giver, his health was horrible. He was 50 years old. He's the richest man on the planet. But he had lost all his facial hair. He could only eat milk and crackers. You know, he could, he could have had the, you know, steak five inches thick, but he couldn't eat anything. And so he, he learned to be a giver and it came healing to him. And so everywhere you go, well, not everywhere, but in many places you go, like in downtown Manhattan, you see the Rockefeller Center. You go up on the east side and you see Riverside Drive Church. Well, his money built that and then endowed that church, $100 million worth way back then. It's probably a billion dollar endowment. Um, and you see that University of Chicago, Rockefeller gave them money. Have you ever heard of Dale Carnegie? 
you know, it's hard in the center of the United States to go to any library that wasn't built by donations from Carnegie. Um, though, now, I'm not saying those rich man, men became impoverished to do that, but they used their wealth to be giving. Now, recalculate for a minute. Go back to that main verse. The main verse here is verse 9 in, in chapter 8. Um, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, who though he was rich. Now, you cannot have a capital R big enough to encompass what we're talking about in rich. I'm watching a a YouTube video about um, the founder of Amazon right now. The dude is rich. Capital R, rich. Um, I'm not sure he's become a giver. Uh, there is a, a, a famous Christian uh, last name. Of, well, his, his reputation is not all that good sometimes. But anyway, he, he, he's the guy that started this. Very wealthy Christian man. And gave, gave the money. And now all of these other wealthy people like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, they're beginning to give like that. You know, even the well, I don't need to go there. But anyway, um, the point I'm trying to make is this. When the Father sent the Son, the Father was sending his heart's treasure. Um, you know, I don't know if they had to have brownouts in heaven because... It was impoverished because the sun was sent. Heaven was empty, so to speak, because the sun was sent. Jesus gave up all that wealth. You know, we, we love America rags to riches stories. We don't like riches to rags stories. This is a riches to rags story. He who was rich became poor so that we who are bankrupt morally could become rich, have his his life, his heart. We could be redeemed out of whatever we're involved in. We can be redeemed. We can have a new start, a reboot, a new life in Christ. Um, and if that doesn't change your wallet, if that doesn't change your conversation, if it doesn't change your relationships, if it doesn't change your direction... It hasn't really changed you, has it? I had a friend. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm vertically challenged. I'm not the tallest person. You know, I did figure out yesterday that the average height of a man in South Korea is my height. I think I'm going to move there. I'm not ever going to Holland because the average height in Holland is 6'2". The average height in South Sudan for men is 6'4". It's six foot for women. I'm not going there either. I'll be the incredible shrinking man. Um, but I don't even know why I'm telling you this now. Um, my, my point is this, that heaven was emptied so that your life and my life could be full. And if I will surrender to Christ, my life will change and the fullness will take over. 
I'll become a generous, hilarious person because this burden of sin I've been dragging around, this debt I owed, is covered and is paid in full. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for the way your spirit has of speaking to us personally and deeply and to the heart, to the bone, to the marrow. You know what we're dragging around. You know what we're hiding and covering up as best we can. There's no covering up with you. You're a, you're a spiritual x-ray agent. So Lord, in the, in the clarity that we have now in this moment, may we clearly see how desperately we need Christ. And may we fully give ourselves to Christ. And when we give, Lord, we want to give all that we are, wallet, purses and all, to you. Uh, change our lives, Lord. Make us new. Make us worthy of the life you've called us to. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.